Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Here's Pastor Willie Taylor. The title of the message today is The Authority of the Servant. And we've been uh, teaching and we will be teaching a series uh, that's on Christ the Servant, uh, the Gospel of of Mark. We're going going to just go through Mark and probably the first ten chapters. We're not going to teach an exegetical study. We're not going to do verse by verse and break down every word and things like that. Uh, we don't have time to do that, and I don't, I'm not led to do it that way. But we will go through the Gospel of Mark. We want to stay in the unity. You know that you can uh, stay with it. If you take two-week vacation, whatever, you know what we're going to be doing. And when you get back, you know what we're going to be on. We're going to do, we'll be on the Gospel of Mark. You can read right along, uh, chapter per week. And it, it, you, you'll, I think you'll stay abreast and... and It'll keep you on the edge, you'll see, because Mark is an awesome book. As I introduced last week, uh, Mark uh, was, of course, on the first missionary journey with uh, the Apostle Paul and with Barnabas. We know that uh, uh, John Mark also, we know that he, uh, and from his perspective, he's presenting Jesus as Christ the servant. He's also not doing a lot of things that maybe some of the other gospels are doing. You don't find much about the, the um, Sermon on the Mount. That's not covered. It's not covered about um, uh, all the things that Jesus said to the religious uh, group, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, not, that, that account not in it, because he was teaching really to Gentiles. Uh, he had Gentile readers in, in general, and specifically he had uh, the Romans um, uh, Gentiles and, and, and as a reader's, reader's group. So therefore, some things were left out. You don't see the gene- genealogy of Jesus Christ in it also. So Mark is a little bit different. Mark is a, a gospel that what he's doing is, is presenting the actions of Jesus. Uh, he's he's kind of emphasizing that a little bit more than the words of Jesus and the sayings of Jesus. We talked about last week the Preparation of the servant. Then we went to the baptism of the servant, uh, right into the temptations or the, temp, or the test of the servant. We talked about two of those. And now, today, we're going to pick it up where we left off with the ministry of the servant. So let's, let's go to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, which this, that's the verse we left off on. Now, in that verse, we, we said that Jesus uh, was, was preaching the gospel of God. That's what he's doing. And verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what he was, he, he was going forth uh, preaching. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you Fishers of men. Immediately they left their um, nets and followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father, father Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Now that is really awesome. And we want to pause here because we said that what we want to do is, is try to relate the, the gospel of Mark. And as he teaches 
less related to what we're going through here at Cornerstone and what we're going through in our workplace and all those type of things like that. Well, one thing that, that God wants us to glean from, from this and apply to our own individual lives, we know that Jesus was a servant. We know that Jesus had a ministry. We know that Jesus uh, did the will of God. We know that. Now, the, the question is, what are we doing? Are we uh, the greatest servant, just like Jesus was the greatest servant of all? Are we servants also? Because we all are called to serve. I think we all know that we're called to serve. Uh, but I think sometimes we think that our service is not that important. I think. Because we don't think Jesus was a, he, he was the son of God. He's the son of man. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Of course, his servant was important. His servanthood, everything he did was very important. But you are important. Your service is important. Everything that God has gives it you to do is very important to the kingdom of God. It's important. And so now, how can we look at it a little bit more important according to the word of God? Well, we know that in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 11 on down, we know that he gave some uh, apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the uh, equipping of the saints for the works of service. We know that. So we are supposed to be equipped for service. We are his workmanship, the scripture says. Creating Christ Jesus for good works. So we are supposed to be doing something in the kingdom. He also went on to say further in that uh, same chapter 4, in, in same verses on follow that, he said that we're supposed to be fitly joined together as each joint supplies. We're supposed to be supplying uh, for each joint of the body. And, of course, the visualization is our own personal body. We're supposed to be, um, every, every part of my body, every part of your body, it has a joint just about. And, and, and that joint, the blood, all the life flow, the food, and, and all those things, it flows from part of the body to part of the body, from the heart all the way through the part of the body, back to the heart. It keeps recirculating around. Nourishment goes. Every joint has to supply some other part of the body. You are the same way. You supply what others in this body need. You do. And without your service, you will not be supplying what some other part of the body need. And you can know yourself if you take one of your arms and you uh, say, well, this arm, I'm not going to use this thing. It's going to just be a part of this body. Well, then what will happen is that someone has to help this arm because it's a part of the body to do, do some functions. So what, what, what would you do? You have an arm that doesn't do anything. Well, what you have to do is just you have to put clothes on that arm. You have to uh, move the arm a little bit to move it because it, it's not going to move itself. It, 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 and if you had a leg that's like that, if you had an eye that's like that, everything has to compensate for that part of the body that's not in use. Well, that's the way we are. Jesus Christ, he said that he's the head and we are the body of Christ. So we're supposed to be functioning and doing what he said, he's supposed to be telling us what to do. We're supposed to be doing that thing. And you are very important. You remember in another part of the scripture, uh, in let's say Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, probably chapter 12, uh, somewhere it says that every part of the body is very important. And I can't say to the, to the ear or in, a, in, a, in no part of the body can say to another part of the body, we have no need of you. 
Every part is very important. So I serve a purpose in the body of Christ here at Cornerstone, and I've been here over 25 years. And, and so, and I came in just as a guest of Mrs. Dorsey. That's what I came in. She invited uh, my family to the church, and I came. That's all I came. I came to, to, to the church. And so I had to try to find out how I would fit into that body, what part did the, did the rest of the body need me to do. And so I had to also find out from the person who God has placed in leadership of that, that body, what did he need me to do. And so immediately they put me uh, working with the youth because I was uh, a physical coach and physical teaching a coach at Glass. So they put me with the youth. And so I started serving as a youth leader. That's all, that's all I did. I served with the youth leader. And then later on, I start, uh, had a life group. Of, uh, we called them home groups back then. I had a home group. I served in that capacity. Uh, before we even had greeters uh, that was called greeters, I greeted everybody. Um, and uh, I, before we had a visiting team, I, I visited everybody also, the guests who came in. And, and so I just did what, the, what, I was, what, what was needed to do. I cleaned the bathrooms. I, I, we did passed out bread. We did some of everything. We've done some of everything in this church. But only because that's what was needed. That's what I, it's not, no one is so important, they can't clean, clean up, wash dishes, whatever it needs to be. So what is needed from you? What's needed? How, do, how are you going to serve? Now, of course, you have gifts. I came in with, 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 with gifts because God gifts everybody. There's nobody in the body of Christ that's not gifted. Not one. And that's a little different from a team because in a team, Sometimes uh, when, when people go out for the team, some people you cut from the team because their talent is not needed because they don't have much to offer. You really, I mean, you know, if you really, really think about it now, okay? Now, what would I be like uh, with a, a, being a jockey? Now, you know uh, I'm not going to be no jockey because jockeys are short, and, they, and they're, they're very, very small. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be on a wrestling team. I'm too scared. Not gonna be on the wrestling team, you see. And so, some things I'm just, just doesn't fit me. Doesn't fit me, okay. But God did give me some some gifts. But I was I wasn't even using probably the gifts that I had when I first came to church, because that wasn't needed. All was needed is that that hey, you work with the youth. I don't have anybody working for the, for the youth. You do that. And they didn't realize that youth was not my uh, gift. They just thought, well, you're a teacher, you're a coach. Why, how have you figured it? You've not your gift. Uh, because in coaching, just like in driver education, what you have is somebody who really wants what you have. Really. They want, you, they want to play. They want to be out there. They want to be a, a star. But the only way they're going to play is do what I say. The only way they're going to get a license is to do what I say. Okay, but in, <laughs> in your group, oh, that's different. They don't have to be there. And I found out that, man, I don't have a captive audience here. When I, when I say, okay, let's open my book, let's come to this Bible study, they're not interested. So I said, oh, man, that's not my gift. That's not my area. I think I'd rather be with adults. So I found out later on that adults were the people I was supposed to teach. But I started doing just whatever they needed to be done. That's all I did. Uh, I went to a, a conference one, and I'm just telling you a little bit about my servanthood, so that you'll know a little bit, little bit about what some things, are, uh, what I've been through 
so maybe it can help you. I used to go to conferences down in North Carolina because I, I thought a lot of it in North Carolina, because um, this is where I'm from, North Carolina. But I, I thought a lot of that, that ministry down there, and I didn't think as highly of the ministry here. I really didn't. And I'm telling you the truth now. Uh, so I'm trying to, you know, uncover myself, because that's the best person to uncover yourself. <laughs> Don't uncover anybody else. Uncover yourself. Um, and so um, uh, in, in those conferences, what happened is that I would always find out that you, all of you in the conferences, they, they know that we're from different churches, all different places. You go back home and you serve that man of God. You serve that woman of God. You serve that person. And you do whatever it takes to move that ministry from where it is to more where God wants it to be. Every, every leader needs somebody to say, hey, what do you need done? What, is, what can I do to help out? They need somebody to do that. And I didn't want to hear that. I really didn't want to hear that. But I came back and I did that. And so the, the, the pastor would always say, man, we're going to send you back to North Carolina every year because, man, you come back, you're fired up, man. You know? <laughs> uh, but what, what God was doing was helping my character. That's what he was doing, helping my character. See, if everybody comes into the body gifted because God gifts you, and then he increases that gift, that doesn't help your character because you, everyone has a gift. See, so... God, between the time that he puts you in a, in a place and the time that he wants to move you into higher servicehood, because Jesus, of course, we do know that Jesus didn't start off at 30 years old. He didn't come in this world 30 years old. Okay? So he had to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. And character building is, 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 is the thing that we all must be able to do. See, you, you remember Jesus even at 12. He knew what was he supposed to be doing? He was supposed to be about the father's business. He knew that. He was very smart. But it says that he obeyed his parents, and we didn't hear anything else about him until he reached 30, from 12 to 30. But you know he grew in wisdom and in stature. We knew he grew. We have to know that Jesus started serving, doing whatever he had to do. Whatever his mother and father told him to do, he had to do that. Until he moved into what God had for him. Whether it be someone like Ruth. Um, Ruth served Naomi. Did she not? Naomi was bitter. Was she not? She was bitter because Naomi lost her husband, lost her her sons. And here she had two daughters-in-law. But Ruth served Naomi when she was bitter. And sometimes we can't serve because of the person we are serving, because God puts a, a live person in front of you to serve so that he can help build your character, so he can move you into what he has for you. How do you think Jesus looked at his brothers, his sister, his parents, all the Pharisees, all his religious leaders? How do you think he looked at them when he knew what his father was supposed to be about? And he knew they weren't about it. Huh? But he still served. He still served. And so we, we have to see that Ruth met her Boaz, even though she had no, no idea, because Ruth had already, Naomi had already told her, hey, I'm not going to have any more sons, and you're going to go to a foreign country, 
She figured that all I'm going to do is serve my mother-in-law. That's all I'm going to do. God looked on that and provided a Boaz for her because Boaz said, I've heard about you, how you gave up your country, your gods, and came to serve a foreign god that you didn't know of. Isn't that great? Oh, it's great. Even King David, when he was anointed to be king, served. He was an armor bearer of Saul. When Saul was really, um, and the whole army was kind of afraid, but he still served. So servanthood is a good thing. It's really a good thing. But we have to realize that we're all important, but you've got to start somewhere. Because unity, that's where unity is. The body is unified when it's all doing its proper function. It's unified. And that's what God wants, unification. So I want to encourage you that this is very important for us to know that when Jesus went into his ministry, it came after 30 years of preparation. 30 years of, he said, I always do what, the, what pleases the Father. It didn't start when he moved in the ministry that he thought he was supposed to be in, where he knew he was supposed to be in. It didn't start there. He always did what was pleasing to the Father as a little child. He always did it. He always did what pleased the Father when he didn't want to go with his parents when he was in the temple and they were asking questions, he was asking questions and things like that. He went with them because he knew he was supposed to be obedient. That's why he moved into the ministry. That's why he was, he was, uh, he was a perfect servant. He was perfect. Jesus, our Lord, he was perfect. He had no sin. Now, the next area we want to go over is the authority of the servant. The authority of the servant. Now, verse 21, it says, They went to Capernaum, and immediately... On the Sabbath, he entered the, the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Then, just then, there was a man in, his, in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Now, what was Jesus doing that, I guess, captured captured their attention so much. It says that he was teaching them as one with authority and not as a scribes. Hmm. 
What kind of authority are we talking about here? Well, do you remember in Matthew how he said, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. That is that word authority. That word authority, if you want to look it up in your concordance word of 1849, that word authority is exousia. It's, but it means more than just uh, authority. It means more than just permission. Because when somebody has authority, you have permission. You have the right to do something. You have the liberty to do something, the freedom to do something. That's what the word comes with the word authority. But it's from another word, another Greek word, which not only means permission or the right to do something, but it also means the power to do it. So when he says, as one teaching with authority, it's talking about not only right, but it's talking about might. It's not only talking about the freedom to do it, the permission to do it. It's talking about nothing will hinder the accomplishing of you doing what you have authority to do. See, this word that is from ignores any hindrance. There is no hindrance to this word authority. No hindrance. Because sometimes we think that, well... You have authority, but you can have hindrances. You can have people who resist that authority. No, 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 not this word authority. This word authority means not only do you have the right to do it, but you have the might to do it. It's like probably in our closest thing probably that we have to that maybe would be our, our um, police officers. Uh, they're a little bit different sometimes than security officers. Security officers, they have a uniform, and sometimes uh, these security people, they, we know they have the right to do it, but if they don't have the might on their side to do it, then you kind of, sometimes you can ignore them. They're going to have to call for help. By the time they call for help, you might subdue them. Okay? So, uh, but if somebody has the might as well as the right, they have the, uh, this big weapon you know, in their hand, and they say, no, you don't go in there. Then you, you kind of quickly assess the situation. Does he, I want to, who gave him the thought to tell me not to go? But since I see that he has power, I'm not going to resist it. Well, that word authority means just that. That's why they said that they, they, they were amazed that he was teaching with authority, because they saw, because he, 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 we're talking about spiritual now. They saw that he had power. See, when we're talking about the police officers and all those type of things, we're thinking about something in the natural. We see a machine gun. We see something, uh, one of these heavy, heavy, heavy things. We, we see something that, whoo, my, my, I'm not messing with that man. I'm not messing with that man. How can they, how can they tell that with Jesus? Because even the unclean spirits obey. It takes some power to do that because, see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they might have the right to teach, the permission to teach. They may, might be saying the, the, the right things, 
but no power. Right? No unclean spirits obey them. Right? None. Because that unclean spirit was right there in the synagogue. That unclean spirit probably been there, you know, uh, hey, whoo, you know, every Sabbath day. They couldn't do anything. Right? But Jesus, when they saw him, they, they immediately cried out. Immediately cried out. See, the unclean spirit saw who he was. Oh, my, this is Jesus. Oh, people, I'm telling you, this is important to us. Let's look at um, another place. Look, let's look at Matthew. Hold your place right there because we're coming right back. Matthew 8, 5. Let's look at there because you say, oh, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm just a, a little person here that's in Lynchburg, Virginia. And uh, we're going to look at verse 5. Matthew 8, 5, I think, where we want to be. Yeah. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Now he knew, now this centurion, does he have any authority? Centurions have authority. They have authority over a group of people, don't they? Yeah, they have authority. They have right and they have might to carry it out too. In the natural realm. But see, this centurion understood we're talking about a different realm. We're talking about a spiritual realm here. And I don't know about this spiritual realm. I don't have any authority in this spiritual realm. I don't have any, any, any uh, right, nor do I have might. But I know someone who does. So that's why the centurion came to him. That's why uh, people are supposed to come to us as, a, as the church of the living God, the called out assembly. They're supposed to come. Saying, now, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. How did Jesus know he was going to come and heal him? See, he said it before it even happened, didn't he? But Jesus understood that he had the right and he had the might because he always did what pleases the Father. And he did nothing that the Father didn't tell him to do. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority. Now why is he bringing that up? Why is he bringing that up? See, I, I think he's, he's trying to let Jesus know, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to come. You said you're going to come. You don't have to come. But I understand what authority is in the natural realm. Because, see, I'm a man under authority. He knows that, he knows that if you're going to have any type of authority in the natural realm, you're going to have to be under authority. He knew that. You had to be under authority. So he also knew that Jesus was a man under authority because that's how authority works. You can't have authority if you haven't been given authority. Somebody always has to be over you to give you authority unless you are God. Okay. So he says, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I said, this one go and, I, and he goes and to another one come and he comes and my slave do this and he does it. 
Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Why would Jesus marvel at that? Because Jesus understood authority. I I believe he marveled at that because not too many people have the understanding of authority. They, They understand natural authority. But they don't understand spiritual authority. Because, see, so many people, uh, and what, what, what we all want to do, because that's the way I was, I want to try to manipulate the situation. I want to try to do whatever I can so it'll make me better in somebody else's eyes. And what we start doing, is we start learning to do that at an early age, how to manipulate to get our way. And that's not going to work. In the spiritual realm, it's not going to work. You see, that, that's how you prove that you don't have authority when you're trying to manipulate. The, Jesus don't manipulate. He didn't manipulate anything. All he does is just uh, pleases the Father. And this is what he said here. Truly I say to you, I, am not found, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. So it's a dealing of, of trust, isn't it? He says that I'm I'm marveling because I don't find anyone in Israel that trusts me like you're trusting me. That have the faith to believe that I am who I am. That I have spiritual authority. They don't believe that. But you believe that. I marvel at that. So then he said, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. That's important. And the servant was healed that very moment. So there's no account of Jesus saying anything. There's no account of his, him holding out his hand. There's not account of him doing anything. He just spoke the word. Isn't that what the centurion said? You don't have to come. All you have to do is just speak the word. Just speak the word. And he spoke the word. He said that the servant, he said that, go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. It shall be done. Meaning it wasn't done that time, but it shall be done as you believe. So that means as he believed, boom, it's done. It's done. Man, if we had that kind of uh, understanding of authority that Jesus has, ooh, that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, let's turn to uh, Luke. Let's go there a little bit because we're, we're drawing a little bit closer home here, a little bit closer home. In Luke chapter 9, we want to look at a place here. Now, uh, Luke 9, 1. It says, speaking of the, the ministry then of the disciples, because this, this is, the disciples are supposed to serve too. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and what? Authority. Over what? Some of them? All of them. And to do what? Now, if you have authority, you can delegate. Ain't that good? Can't you do that? If you have authority, you can delegate. If you don't have any authority, can't delegate. Jesus can delegate, can he? Yeah, he can delegate. 
Matter of fact, he says, go into all nations and make dis- disciples. What's he doing? Delegating. And Lord, I'll be with you always, even to the end of time. Whenever Jesus delegates, when he sends, he sends the person with authority and with the power. He does. But we got to what? Believe. Yeah, we got to believe. Why would Jesus send somebody and then give them any authority? When you delegate something, you have to give them some authority to do something. Yeah. I said, this is really cool. Listen to what it says in verse um, 6. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. Some places, everywhere, everywhere. What would you think they were preaching when they were preaching the gospel? They were preaching the same thing he preached. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who died for our sins, isn't he? Reconciliation before the Father comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. I I really love this part. I I put on a, a little title, The Authority of the Servant, Part 1. That's the title, the part one. Because we knew, I knew that we wouldn't finish this, we'll get to part two next week. But it leads right into communion. Because the gospel, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going right into communion. We'll pick it up uh, there next week in Mark. So you can read that, that in chapter 1, go into chapter 2, read that also, because I'll be going into chapter 2 in all probability next week. In Ephesians 2, verse 1. And it tells us here that how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which we all were, and formerly we walked according to the course of, the, of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, so we know that the principle of power of air affects us. The spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. So we know that we were disobedient at one time because it says among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, oh, that's the good news, isn't it? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace, You have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. For he, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. So he's prepared good works for us. He's prepared good works for us. So we need to walk in good works. Good works. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Taylor and Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace.